Today I'm in the second sermon in a series called Influence, and the sermon's about servanthood. I'm calling it Lead as a Servant, and I can't think of a better group of people to dedicate this sermon to today than moms. Who is a bigger servant than mom? These are some answers given by second grade children, actual questions asked them, and the second graders gave these answers. Why, why did God make mothers? One little guy said, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. <laughs> Another said, mostly to clean the house. A little servanthood there for you. What's the difference between moms and dads was a question posed to the second graders. And someone said, moms work at work and work at home. Dads just work at work. <laughs> Who's the boss at your house? One little girl said, I guess mom is, but only because she has a lot more to do than dad. So moms are really servants. I found this on Facebook from one of our moms. She wrote this this week. She didn't know it would be in this sermon, however. She said, so I'm walking into the grocery store, and on my right side I'm holding a sick baby, my purse, and a poopy diaper that I just changed in the back of the van. With my left hand, I'm blowing the sick four-year-old's nose and pushing the huge car cart that I just retrieved from across the parking lot. And I'm sick too, and still limping from last week, and none of it phases me in the least. I am mama, hear me roar. Let's give moms a hand. Can we do that? <clears throat> I tell you what, the, the moms and what they post just crack me up. There could be a great book just out of the quotes that moms from this church put on there. We have some very, very funny, creative women uh, that write around here. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to pray, first of all, for, for you, Mom, and, and thank the Lord for you. Uh, but I want to pray about this sermon, that this heart of servanthood that you carry will, uh, will, will go even further to the heart of all that are here. If your mom or your wife's nearby, just grab her hand as I say this prayer. Would you do that? Father, thank you so much for these um, wonderful women. I think of my mom and my wife and all they give and how they serve and what they've done and the contribution that they make to my life every day and shaping me and blessing me and helping me to be what you've created me to be. And I'm so grateful to you, Lord, for, for these women. We're so grateful, Lord, for these moms, these wives, these servants that are yours. Thank you so much for them. And Lord, I pray as we look at this sermon today that we pick up this heart of servanthood that your Holy Spirit would cause us to see that it's a valuable, valuable principle that Jesus has given to us, serving. Thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Mark 9.35, <clears throat> we find Jesus talking to the disciples after they've just had an argument about who will be the greatest. And it says this, he sat down and called the 12 disciples over to him, and then he said, anyone who wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This is not what the world teaches us. Why do we need to be in this book? Because this book tells us how it should be, not how it is around us. And how it should be will change the atmosphere around us and make everything better. It's an essential teaching of Christ that one of the great blessings in life is serving, and that is not what this world tells us. I love this quote by Elton Trueblood. He says, a man has made at least a start on discovering the meaning of human life when he plants shade trees under which he knows full well he will never sit. I, I don't know why I like that so much, but it blesses me 
to think of people who have a giving, serving heart in such a way that something substantial that they would do, that they would be blessed knowing that the Lord's going to use it in others' lives. That is the heart of servanthood. So there's three things I want to share with you about serving today, three main points. And the first is this, Jesus showed us how to serve. In John 13, we're going to follow this story of washing the disciples' feet to pick up these principles in the word today. It says this in verse four, so he got up from the table, it's talking about Jesus, he took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. Boy, I heard a great sermon once called pick up the towel, pick up the towel. And that's what Jesus did here, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, And we know that at least most of those seem to know who the disciples, they knew who he was at this juncture. This is the last night of Jesus Christ's life on this earth as a human being. And he spends it washing dirty feet. Now, if you're not careful, you'd say that's a waste of time for the king of kings. They should be washing him and preparing him for burial. In those days, the men that he he washed, the feet that he washed had probably walked miles because that's what they did every day. They walked where they went. They wore sandals. You know, when Jesus said, uh, your, your body is clean later on this story, but I need to wash your feet. Well, when they would bathe, uh, they, they wouldn't be dirty when they arrived at the house except for their feet because their feet had gotten dusty along the way. And so he bowed down. The king of kings bowed down. Why did he do that? Because he knew that the most important thing he could do before he left was give them this example of serving. And the ultimate service he was going to go on to give. Not only did he bless them, care for them, minister to them, and even wash their feet, but he died for them, and he died for us. He was serving us with his life. Philippians 2, 5 says, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. Now, this is our example. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Someone said to me once, do you think Jesus was a sinner? Well, the Bible said, he who knew sin became sin, so he wasn't a sinner. And they said, well, what about the sins of the world lying on his back? Wouldn't that make him a sinner? And I said this, well, if I have a sack of grain on my back, does it make me a sack of grain? He bore our sin, he who knew no sin, that we might be set free. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we needed a savior and Jesus came to serve us, to show us how to live, but then he even died to take away our sins. And you think of the way he lived and that he's our example and you think about how intense this element of sacrifice is in service. Because this sacrifice includes your your treasure and your talent and your time. That's, That's what servants do. And by the way, as I talk about servanthood today, I talked about the manifestations of the spirit a few weeks ago, last month. And um, those are gifts that the Holy Spirit can give to any one of us at any time that comes supernaturally to bless someone else. And I mentioned that 
we don't have the gift. We are just like the delivery people, uh, UPS, bringing a package to give. The gift goes to the one who receives. Those are the manifestations. Pastor Doug, uh, even now, is upstairs teaching a class on the motivational gifts in Romans and the ministry gifts in Ephesians 5. They're, those are more like lifelong calls, things that God has already put into you the way you're wired. And whatever the way you're wired, when you give that to the body of Christ, when you give that to those that are lost, you are loving them and serving them. I, I feel like I'm serving now as I, as I preach and as I share because this is something God has given me. When I, when I study, I'm thinking of you and I'm being blessed myself to some degree, but I'm thinking, Lord, what do you have for your people? And I'm trying to serve. And whatever your gift is, you are serving people with that gift. But what I'm trying to capture today, I said that to say this, what I'm trying to capture today is the heart of serving that you should use your gift with. The heart of serving that we should carry to listen to the whisper of the Lord everywhere we go. Here's what Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I think we should go all the way to death. I want to stop there and say this though. It said living sacrifice. That means that you're more concerned with God's agenda for your day than your own because you're living for him as a sacrifice. You're not dying for him there. Although that would be great if you could die for it. Most of us won't get that opportunity. It's more important to be living as a sacrifice. A sacrifice, it says, that is holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's service, the word that servant comes from. And it's reasonable to make your life all his all day long. And verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? That's what we're concerned about as we go through our day with the servant's heart serving him is the perfect will of God. I like this story about a university professor who was invited to speak at a military base. And he met a soldier named Ralph who picked up his luggage at the airport and he introduced himself. They headed towards the baggage claim. And as they walked down the concourse, Ralph kept disappearing wants to help an older woman whose suitcase had fallen apart or open, wants to lift up a couple toddlers so they could see Santa Claus, again to give directions to someone who was lost. And each time he would come back with a smile on his face. And the professor said, where did you learn that? And Ralph said, what? Where did you learn to live like that? Oh, Ralph said, during the war, I guess. And he told the professor about his tour of duty in Vietnam. And how it was his job to clear minds on the field. And he, he said this, that um, he watched his friends blow up before his eyes, one after the other. And he said, I learned to live between the steps. I never knew whether the next step would be my last. So I learned everything I could to live out the moment between when I picked up my foot and I put it down again. Every step I took was a whole new world, and I guess I've been that way ever since. I thought about that for us in serving the Lord. Live between steps. I really believe that the Spirit of the Lord will whisper to your heart things that He wants to do in people's lives in terms of serving. Maybe it's a word of encouragement, a phone call. Perhaps it's helping them financially. Whatever it may be, God uses us 
And if we'll live between steps, we'll see amazing things happen because people's hearts will be turned to the Lord. Matthew 24 shows us how God will bless us if we follow the example that Jesus gave us by bending over and washing those dirty feet. It says, who is, faith, who is a faithful, sensible servant to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his household and feeding his family? If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. One of the things God wants us to know is it's a great blessing to serve. From there comes fulfillment in life. You know, when's that abundant life kick in, people say. I'm not always feeling it. Part of it is because we don't live a servant's mentality. We don't live it out these days in America. We're more into getting and receiving than we are to giving and serving. Jesus was our example. Second thought I have for you today is he was our example because he wants to, to serve others like he did. I mean, he's saying, all right, this is how you do it. John 13, 6 shows that he wants us to do more than just see him as a servant. He wants us to follow his example. He came to Simon Peter and Peter said, Lord, why are you going to wash my feet? Now here's the deal. Peter gets it. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. He understood that he should be doing something for Jesus. Jesus shouldn't be washing his feet. That's the way he felt because he, he felt I should serve you, you shouldn't serve me. But here are more words from Jesus now in John 13, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because it's true. Verse 14, and since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. When we understand that Jesus loves us. When we see the servant heart that Jesus had for the disciples, but he has for us, he served us in living his life. He served us in dying for our sins. When we understand that, it's so important because we begin to develop a heart to serve other people. He served us. He's the king of kings. We serve other people to follow his example. Here's a great story that I ask uh, the person to write down, this couple's from our church, and they tell of an event that took place, and, and, and they're serving others. Here's how it goes. One day, my wife was at the park with our grandson. She soon struck up a conversation with a young father watching his two children play. She learned that his wife was expecting their third child, and that they had no family members in the immediate area. The other two children were older, so they had no baby clothes. And dad's job was unpredictable. This fellow says, my wife talked until it was time to go home, but she left an open invitation for the couple to share a meal with us sometime. Later, my wife and a friend were talking about that encounter. As it turned out, this friend had some baby clothes that she no longer needed. Maybe this couple could use them. A date and an approximate time was arranged for all the parties to meet at our house for dinner and to look through the clothes. After dinner, the ladies 
happily went through the selection of clothes while the men sat in another room and shared story about work and life's experiences. We had a wonderful evening, he says. In the following weeks, our families visited often. And a month or two after the baby was born, the couple expressed an interest in visiting Horizon. On the appointed day, we met them at the entry and sat with them through the service. Each week thereafter, we met with them and we sat with them. It was only a few weeks later that the dad accepted Jesus. In just a couple more weeks, mom accepted Jesus on Easter morning. This is this year. Both dad and mom were excited about the Lord and wanted to know more about him. And we helped them get Bibles so they could understand. And they had so many questions, we began meeting with them on a regular basis to share time together, to talk about the Lord and his word. A few months later, they were both baptized. Unfortunately, while dad was away on business in California, a neighbor broke into their apartment. No damage was done except to severely traumatize mom. She called me about 4 a.m., and by the way, that break-in was with mom in the house. That's why she was traumatized. She called me about 4 a.m. to briefly explain what happened, and naturally she was upset, so I invited her to bring her whole family over to our home to get away from the apartment. We soon had folks sleeping throughout the house wherever there was a soft, flat surface to lie on. Because of the fright, mom wanted nothing more to do with that apartment. Dad soon got home and found another place to live, but during the days of transition, they lived with us. What began as a helping hand has become like a family tie, he says. This couple that was so loved by God has come to mean so much to us. Over the months, we visited often sharing food and life, and God has faithfully continued to guide this family. Dad has found a stable job as a guard at the state prison in Pendleton, where the family now lives. They all like the town, the kids like the school, dad likes his job, and things seem to be settling into place. God had a plan, and I'm so pleased that my wife responded to God's nudge to say, hello, my name is Elaine. You know that couple is Bob and Elaine Tennant. Retired now from superintendent of schools here, professor at Portland State at one time. Retired from teaching Elaine, 17 years here at Horizon but not retiring from serving and ministering. And what a difference they have made in these lives. And when we serve, people's hearts are turned to the Lord. They just can't believe that God would be this good and loving. Why would you do that for me? Do you understand that that's what the true heart of service brings? That's the question that comes into their heart. Why would you do this? There's nothing in this for you. Some of you have heard that when you've served people, but what happens is that is the moment that you can say, because God loves you and he put you on my heart. Because God cares about you and so do I. And pretty soon people who've never believed in God, who've never considered God, who've never seen God in someone's life start to see Jesus through yours. And lives are changed. Learn to listen to that little voice, that still small voice of God that will whisper to your heart, and say, do this for this person. Galatians 5.13 says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. The third thought I have for you is this, we never get to graduate from serving. Because the world says, you know, you start cleaning toilets, right? That's what they say in the... uh, 
business world. And then you, as you're good at what you do, you move up, you're promoted, you get your education, you pay your dues. And eventually you get to the place where you're not serving people, but people are serving you. That's the world's way. That's not God's way. In God's economy, this principle Jesus is trying to teach us is you never graduate from serving as a believer of Jesus Christ. If the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is washing feet, you will never get that high. And so what he's saying is, look at what I do and understand through all your life, I want you to serve. John 13, 8, Peter says this with a loud protest. No, you will never wash my feet. Again, I think Peter's meaning well when he says this because he knows who Jesus is and he wants Jesus to know, I want to serve you. But Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. You won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus is saying, regardless of your spiritual maturity, regardless of your status as a CEO, a pastor, whatever it may be in life, however lofty the position may be, how famous you may be, whether you're a singer or an athlete, there's nothing more appealing, nothing that makes more difference than a life that will serve so Jesus can be seen through them. Matthew 20, 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that in the world, kings are tyrants. Talk about the world's economy now. And officials lorded over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. You've heard of General Norman Schwarzkopf. What you may not have known is many years ago he served as a battalion commander in Vietnam. It was a country that was uh, covered with landmines from previous wars. And so soldiers would often get wounded, find themselves in minefields. And Schwarzkopf, as a commander, had a helicopter. And every time somebody was hurt that way in a minefield, he would immediately get in his helicopter and go so that helicopter could be used to save lives. It wasn't the purpose of the helicopter, but he didn't feel good sitting around when he had the ability to get there and help people. He landed on the scene one time. He had done this several times. And the people that were going out to retrieve someone, one of the soldiers stepped on a mine himself. And it seriously damaged his leg and he was flailing in that minefield. Schwarzkopf knew if he rolled around too much, he'd hit another life, another mine and his life would be ended. And he felt that he could still be saved, that even the leg could be saved from where he was. And Norman Schwarzkopf, the general to become, stepped out into the minefield and slowly moved through. As he told the story, his legs were shaking and he had to stop them from moving and shaking. And each step, he didn't know what it mean, but he finally got to them. And at West Point, he had been a wrestler. And this man that was flailing at 240 pounds, the commander fell on him and held him still with a penhold that he had learned from West Point. And soon the man was calmed. He was able to bring him back with the team's help out of that danger. Schwarzkopf received a medal for his courage in that setting. 
But his thought was, as the commander, what else could I do? I, I couldn't let him sit there and die when I felt I had the ability to save him and to help him. Probably more importantly, he became known as a commander who would give his life for his soldiers. Some would call that courage, but I I think the real true heart of what he did was serving. The commander. Others would say it's foolhardy for a commander to go out there. Whatever you may think, he certainly had a heart that loved and wanted to help and gave. I remember another story of a friend of mine named Doug Coe. Almost seems funny to say, Doug Coe was written about in Time Magazine in January of 2000 as being one of the most influential evangelicals in America. As a matter of fact, the title of the article is The 25 Most Influential Evangelicals in America. Some of you know that I, that I meet with Dick Foth on an annual basis with several others, and we've been meeting together for 16 years now. We care for one another, and we love one another, and we pray for our families. Most of us are pastors that meet together, all of us ministers. And Dick mentors us. He doesn't like to think of it that way because uh, he, he just said he's not there to lead. He's just there to serve. What a wonderful heart. What a blessing Dick has been to us through the years. But Dick introduced us to all of his friends in Washington, D.C., and his, one of his closest friends that he was allied and worked with was Doug Coe, this, this guy who's behind the scenes serving politicians, kings, princes. And I remember through the years in D.C. sitting with John Ashcroft, because he's Dick's friend, and just thinking, what, what we, there's just six or seven of us, sitting with the chief naval officer and we get in these meetings with all these important people and I'm thinking, you know, I'm just a little old pastor from Tualatin. I, I don't have any, uh, any status to be here. And I remember telling Dick, Dick, I, this feels so funny because I don't really have anything to give. And Dick, Dick would say and Doug would say, but that's not what it's about. We're just brothers. And when we meet other brothers, we, uh, we, we have friendship that, that lasts lifelong and you don't have to do anything. There's no pecking order. You're, you're just in. As a matter of fact, they call it the fellowship. I think it sounds like the Christian mafia. But any, anywhere you go, they have friends. Doug Cole writes, check this out, 10,000 letters a year to world leaders and other people. I remember sitting with Benazir Bhutto the one that was assassinated, the woman assassinated in uh, Pakistan this past year. As a matter of fact, she drove four of us around in her car. Never really thought a lot about that until she got assassinated and thought, yee. But she had, she was talking to us about Jesus. And I'm saying all that to say this, I didn't deserve to be there. Doug Coe's the one who has all these relationships and he's letting me in on this after we'd gone through our building program here and we were done and I, I didn't realize how tired I was and I, honestly, I didn't realize how bad off I was. Um, I told people I was like a shiny new car going down the road that looked great on the outside but that tank was on an eighth 
of a tank and it was just getting into that red zone at times. And then all I could do is get it up to an eighth of a tank and I was just weary from the whole process. Did you know that uh, I read an article that said 80% of pastors leave their church within a year of a major building program because there's just so much stress with finances and trouble and criticism and all of that. They usually see it through and then they're gone. Well, I didn't want to go and I was tired and the, and the board and this church was so gracious to allow me sabbatical. And I took three months off. And I remember being with Doug Coe just before I was going to go and Dick Foth in Washington, D.C. And he heard about the sabbatical and Doug Coe says to me, hey, do you golf? I said, yeah. And he said, are you good? And I said, no, no, I'm not, not at all. Which is amazing that I like it when I'm so bad at it. But he said, would you like to be better at golf? And I said, yeah, I would. He said, if, if I bought you golf lessons during your sabbatical, would you, would you take golf lessons? Would that be something that's appealing to you? I mean, he says this as we're driving in D.C. in a car. And I'm telling you, it's very humbling because this is a guy who it felt like we should be serving him because he's, he keeps blessing us. I said, yeah, I'd do that, but you know how it is. A guy who writes 10,000 letters and might forget, and so I thought, well, I'm not gonna hold you know, his feet to the fire on that one, and about three weeks later, I got a check in the mail for $300 to take some golf lessons. Now, this may not seem like serving to you, but I believe that the Lord whispered something into his heart uh, that I might be blessed. And because here's what happened. I, I started to golf in these golf lessons and I started to enjoy it. And it was just, a, it was a way to escape. I mean, I, I say that I love golf because of nature, the, the sand, the trees, the water. I, I'm always there when I'm golfing, you know. And, and um, it was so fun. And there were times in that sabbatical with that and with other things I would think, things like this. God, you love me this much. I mean, because it felt extravagant, you know. You're speaking to the hearts of others to bless me. And that is the point of serving, that it would turn people's hearts to God. That one of the most influential people would stoop to bless a little pastor and say, hey, maybe I can be an encouragement. But with it came encouragement from the Lord. Matthew 23 the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And serving others and giving a cup of water in Jesus' name and blessing others with what the Lord whispers into our hearts, we turn their hearts towards Jesus, the source of our service. And all the love we're showing them, they know it's God's love. I like what Albert Schweitzer said. He said, if you want to lead on the highest level, be willing to serve on the lowest. Someone messaged me with this thought just a couple of days ago. I want to conclude with this story that shows how God used a mother's heart to save a little girl. Her name was Brittany. She had been severely abused. This family doesn't attend here any longer, but it was over a decade ago that this happened. And this woman wanted me to know what's happened since the time that they were with us. So she wrote this. Do you remember Brittany? She'd been extremely abused and neglected. And she lived with us for several years. You prayed for her and the Lord really spoke through you to the heart of a very scared little girl. 
her life was forever changed that night. When she came to us at 10, she could not speak. Now catch that. She could not speak. She weighed 54 pounds at 10 years old. And she couldn't keep food down. She had been so abused that she was not even like a child. I remember her telling me that she was scared to death when a faucet, when the water would run, that great fear would rise up in Brittany's heart and she would cower. And it was eventually realized that one of the punishments that she got in her home was they would fill the tub with water and hold her under the water and then bring her up and say, are you gonna do that again? This woman says, I don't know if you remember, but she had written in her Bible that I gave her these words, exact words, dear Lord, help me be able to say the things I think. She couldn't talk. Oh, she had the ability, but she couldn't seem to get the words out. It was a little prayer from her heart that meant a lot, she says. Meant a lot to her since she couldn't express herself or really communicate. After church, when you prayed for her, you prayed a lot of things, she says. And at the end of the prayer, you said, and dear Lord, help Brittany to say the things she thinks. That woman said, I remembered that those were the exact words that she had written in her Bible. Not only phrase, but the exact order when she wrote, Lord, help me to say the things I think. She said, when you prayed that, I looked down at Brittany and tears were streaming down her face. That's when she believed that God was hearing her and that he saw her. Because after all, think about this, after all those bad things, surely the little girl was thinking, God, where are you? Do you even see me? Do you care? And that's when she believed that God was hearing her and that he saw her. And that's why, you know, sometimes we're being used in the gifts by the Spirit and we don't even know it. But in retrospect, we think, wow. And in that pause, in that moment, I believe the Spirit of God put in my head and his heart that came out in the exact words she had written in her Bible. It said she had felt so insignificant, but now she knew God knew where she was. And this woman says, I'll never forget that. It showed me too. And then she says this, I just wanted to write you and let you know what has happened in her life since then. This year she graduated from high school. She has had excellent grades. Last week she went to her senior prom. She says, my husband and I took pictures before she went. Her plans are to be in the army and to go into nursing so she can help people that have been hurt like her. The story here is about this woman and this man who listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and from their lives came ministry to a young lady that nobody else cared about, neglected, abused, but God cares. And they've vested years of their life And coming forth from that, saying yes to God when God says, go here, is a life that is not only known to be precious by the one who holds it, but is now being lived fully in loving Jesus Christ. Ooh, this service thing, it's the very heart of God. C.S. Lewis said, in the poor man who knocks at my door, in my ailing mother, In the young man who seeks my advice, the Lord himself is present 
Therefore, let us wash his feet. Jesus, at the end of this story in John 13, this is how he wraps it up. After he washes the disciples' feet, he says these words. You know these things. Now do them. That is the path of blessing. I want to read that again because it's profound. It's the word of God. It's the heart of God. You know these things, Jesus said. Now do them. That is the path of blessing. 